Welcome to City on a Hill's podcast. This week's podcast can be downloaded on iTunes or our media library at chccny.com. Good morning. Good morning to you all. I hope you had a good week. Some of you had vacation. Uh, it's good to see smiling faces. Yeah, let's just put this this time in his hands, even though we've been worshiping him, speaking to him. Let's just put this time in his hands. Father, we just do want now to ask you to quiet us. Help us to be quiet, Lord. In this world that's filled with so much noise and so many words, there's so little space for you. And so, Lord, this morning we're asking you that you will help us by your Spirit. We give you this time, Lord. We bow before your throne. And we recognize that just as, the, as you can never step into a river in the same place twice, we'll never be here again this morning. So, Father, we want to give you thanks for this gift this morning is to us. Father, we, I want to pray for all those this morning who are in a dark place, a tough place, a hard place, a lonely place. We just, Father, we, we come and we, we gather together, Lord, not around a person, not around a doctrine. We gather together around you this morning. And we believe, Lord, that you're here. And we give you this time and ask, Father, I ask that for every hungry person in this room, for every person who is reaching out to you, that you will speak a word, that you will touch, that you'll extend your hand and your embrace this morning. Father, we want to touch you. Hide me behind the cross that you might touch your people this morning. Father, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, the angry birds have nothing compared to some of the people we've had in the past. I know you young people think you've got a corner, you've got a market on all these crazy people. But I want to see how many of you remember these people. So let, let's put that video on a second. I hope we see it well. And now, pigs in space! last left our heroes, Captain Hogthrob was about to speak. Oh, I wonder how that announcer is. He fell down in Beth's hospital, you know. Actually, I sprained my ankle. Oh, well, take my advice and get your mommy to kiss it. Can we get on with this sketch? Yeah, yeah, good idea. Captain Hogthrob, the navigational computer just gave us a very startling news. Oh, what's that? See that white glow approaching in the distance? Uh, yeah. That glow is the end of the universe. <gasps> and 
Furthermore, according to the computer, when we reach the end of the universe, mm -hmm. we will be given our meaning and purpose of life. Ooh. We will be given the meaning and purpose of life? I just love presents. <laughs> when do we get there? In exactly one minute from now. I heard a rumor, John, that you remembered that actual, actually, that exact one. You did? Okay, that's a memory, huh? Well, I just think it's really profound. I think it's really profound. I think the Muppets are profound. Because, isn't it true? I mean, here they're saying, in just minutes, we're going to, uh, not a minute, we're going to, find the eternal answers to all of the universe. And they could get waylaid by a bowl of, was it squirrel soup? I couldn't figure out what he was saying. What kind? Squirrel stroganoff. That's what it was, Strog stroganoff. Yeah, yeah. And I thought, well, you know, isn't that just like us, though? You know, sometimes I think, you know, those of us that... Um, are called to stand up here and talk to people about God and about uh, the Christian life. You know, I think sometimes we kind of perhaps step over a few a few steps. Um, this is what I mean. I mean, I, I'm talking to some people in here, and there's a lot of different, totally different places that people are at, right? Some people may just be walking into the kingdom for the first time. It's all very new to them. Um, some have grown up hearing the words, and yet the reality isn't quite there. Some maybe have been walking with the Lord for years and know the Lord in, in, in deeper way. But I think that if we were really, really honest, I, think we, I don't think we need to take for granted that when we get up and say, you know, we want to connect with God and we want to know God, that everybody's really at the place where they're really saying, yeah, you know, I really, that's where I really am. Some of you may be, but I think we've encountered, um, I think that it would not be unusual, and I think it'd probably be very, very normal if we recognize that really there are fears that we have many times about what that really means what does it look like uh what what is that going to mean for my life you know I, i've told you many times those of you that have 
been here. Um, that, you know, when Joe and I were two Italian Catholic kids, you know, growing up, bought a house out in Middle Island, um, had a few children, and life was supposed to be, you know, just the way I'd seen it in generations before me. And, and Joe would, you know, he'd move up in his job and we'd raise our kids and, and, uh, but we had no idea that God was going to intervene in our lives. Uh, you know, this expression we use, I found the Lord, which is really kind of crazy because you don't find the Lord. He finds you. Do you know you need God to know God? That's why it's kind of crazy to ever try to talk anybody into knowing God, knowing the Lord. You can't do that on your own. You need a revelation. I, I remember once we were in D.C., and there's a church there that Joe and I went to see, and um, very, very, uh, I mean, all Harvard people, and and uh, very, I would say, deeper than your average church, this church was. Uh, very intellectual, more liberal than probably Joe and I are prepared to go, but wonderful people. And I remember one day this woman stood up and she said, yeah, you know, my daughter married a Jewish man, and, you know, I'm kind of concerned because it's time to look for a school for my grandchildren, and they're debating on whether to send him to a Hebrew academy, you know, or uh, I don't know if it was a Christian school, but a Hebrew, Hebrew academy in any of it. And uh, I thought to myself, oh, I wonder how concerned she is about that. Now, I was pretty, I was kind of young at the time. Um, and I thought, I wonder if that upsets her, being such a strong Christian. And uh, we got into a conversation. And this is what I heard her say. She said, oh, oh, I'm not concerned about it. She, this is what she said to her grandson. I'm sorry. She said, Grandma, you're not going to be upset, right, if I go, if I go to this Hebrew school, knowing that her, mother, her grandmother was a strong Christian. And this is what she said. She said, oh, honey, of course not. She said, my dear, you cannot know Jesus. You can't decide to know Jesus on your own. Jesus has to reveal himself to you. And wherever you just, you just go and follow and you just listen for God now. And I thought, I thought, wow, that really runs counter with a lot of the kind of, I think, fear and attitudes that we can have as Christians sometimes, even with our own kids, you know, feeling like we're going to give them, you know, we've got to just kind of keep telling them and, and just keep repeating to them and, and just kind of hammering them with it. And, you know, I don't think that that's something that, that God does. I think that, I think that we need to trust, we need to pray, of course. And of course, be willing to be used and, and influence our children, certainly. I mean, that's a story. I could just spend an hour talking about influencing your children. But you can't make God real to anyone. And you can't make God real to yourself either. You can't make this work yourself. And that's why I just love what I love about Jesus and what I, what I love. I just, you know, when we started the church, and I'm, I'm going to go back to there a second. But when we started the church, one of the reasons we were really strong about, one of the reasons we were, I guess, moldable 
for all the number one reasons we felt called to do it. But one of the reasons I wanted to be in leadership in a church was I didn't trust anybody to teach my kids about God. <laughs> I really wasn't liking what I was seeing and hearing. And I didn't want them exposed to a gospel that God would just have to tear down if he was ever going to be real to them. You know, parents, you know what my attitude was? And, and, and Joe and I, my both. And listen, the most important thing to us in the world was seeing our children come to know Jesus. When you know Jesus, you, of course, know that that's the, whether they succeed in their job, whether they succeed, whether they get to the school you want them to go to, whether they have the, you know, the scholarship, the this and that, if they don't know Jesus, you know, you're not going to be at peace because you know that's the thing that holds the rest of it all together. But I remember saying to the Lord one day, I'd rather have my children walk out into the middle of the world and find out how empty it is and have a real experience with Christ than just regurgitate our words. And uh, you know what? I just want to give you some encouragement this morning. And wherever your kids are at, and I don't care how old they are, even if they're deep in the world, you know, Jesus is there too. You know, (laughs) can I remind us of something? Sometimes we have to remember. You know Jesus loves sinners? No, I don't think you heard me. You know that person in your life you're always trying to change and you're always judging? (laughs) And you're always... Do you know that Jesus loves sinners no matter how deeply in sin they are? Do you know that's how he approached you? (laughs) We were praying in the prayer meeting the other day and we were praying for this... Quorum spiritual advisor over here. I don't know if you recognize this, but there's a big center going over there. We were praying about it. And and, uh, I remembered that I was one of those. As a young girl in my 20s, Louise, Ted, and I lost our dad at a young age. And uh, he was 57. Um, And uh, it was very, very traumatic because he was the center of our family. And um, I was very vulnerable, and it brought me close to some New Age uh, books. I started to read some books. And because, you know, if you're around here at all, you know that I have deep respect for my Catholic roots. I have bookshelves and bookcases and, and, and just shelves of, of Catholic authors that have just mentored me. But I could never live in the Catholic Church. And, and so... One of the things is they don't teach you the Bible, and though they, there are many Catholics that love God. I was a young girl growing up, and I think I had some love for God. How many of you are Catholics in here that felt you had a love for God? Even before? you see, see what I'm saying? You know, somebody says the Catholics love God and the Protestants love the Word, and there needs to be a marriage between the two. You know, I try to do that. We try to do that here. We try to bring some of the tradition and some of the good things that we feel were deeply rooted in in the Catholic tradition. Um, is it my mic? Is that the problem? Oh. It's the track. Where it is, and you're not going to find out where it is either. It's easier for a guy. It certainly is easier. Okay, girls, all of our work. Okay, all right. 
It's on. Yes. Better? Sorry. I'm trying, guys. I'm trying to get with it, you know? I'm trying to be cool. James, you know, no. He's cool. He's got all pages up here. He's so neat. He knows where he's going. I'm so impressed. Never happened. Never happened here. Catholic Church. Uh, but they don't teach you the word. And, and so many of the people sitting on those pews are very vulnerable, as I was. And so I started to walk into the New Age. And I'm, I, you know, who can be self-righteous with the people that are out there? We're, that's, we're all sinners. And until he comes to get us, right? Until he comes to get us, uh, there's no place. The cross is, the, the ground in front of the cross is level. So for Joe and I, I remember, you know, when we first came into the, to the things of the Lord and the Lord became real to us. I mean, very real to us. Because we actually came to the Lord during a revival. Atmosphere was different. When people came to understand the gospel about accepting Christ, it was just amazing. There was no half in. You were either all in or you rejected it. That's kind of the way it was. And that was kind of the, you know, that was kind of the gospel we had. Come and give your life to Christ. And, and my, it was just happening in your neighborhoods, in schools, and everywhere you went. This was in the early 70s for us. But boy, um, I remember the fears I had. I remember the fears I had. I mean, we're talking about getting to know God, but let's be honest about some of the fears, some of the resistances that rise up in us outwardly and inwardly. I mean, my Italian Catholic family didn't sit back and think, oh, oh, clap, you know. My mother, you know, um, she wasn't a happy camper. What are you doing? What is this new religion that you've come up with? Uh, no, Mom, it's not exactly, it's not a new religion because the new term, the term, remember in the 70s and 80s, it was born again. Who are these born-agains, my mother used to say, right? How many of you know what I'm talking about in here? Who are these born-agains? That's all we ever heard, you know? And I said, no, no, no. It's in the Bible, Mom. You know, right here it says you must be born again in John, you know. Really? Well, you know. And there was a, so much fear. You know, some of the things I battled was, um, well, you know, you get weird when you get close to God. How many heard, ever heard that? You're not going to raise your hand, but you're lying to me. You're going to, you know, people get weird. An another thing I heard was, uh, you know, you walk into that crazy stuff, you're going to lose your mind. You know, people have breakdowns and everything that get into that stuff. They do? Jesus, am I going to have a breakdown? And, and the Lord would say, no, honey, honey, no, no. I'm going to build you up. I'm not going to break you down. I mean, it was... Well, you know what? If you go that route, you're going to lose friends. You're going to lose family. You know, that's hard. I mean, I remember that being really hard. Who wants to lose friends and family? We used to have a little cousins group in my, in my mother's side of the family. And um, we'd all get together and talk, and we'd all share our pooled ignorance about any topic on, you know, on the, on the table, and especially about spirituality or, you know, our Catholic roots. And nobody knew anything, but we all had our opinions. And so I was so excited 
we were all, Louise and I were so excited. I think Ted, you were too young at the time, I guess. You weren't allowed into that group. You were a baby. Uh, so we, I remember going to one of our first cousins meetings and saying, guys, he's real. I mean, Jesus, he's, 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 he's real. And it, I remember them looking at us, like looking at me particularly saying, uh oh, you know, my relationship with some of them, the relationship level I had with them, it certainly never got any deeper. And I'm sad to say that most of them never really ever came around to really open their lives to Christ. I remember the girl, the woman who lived in your house before you were there. And she was a good friend of ours. And, and I remember bringing, you know, talking to her and... And I just remember how she changed toward me after that. And I, I, all I was doing was just trying to say uh, something new has happened to me, something I can't explain, but I just found out that, no, 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 he's real. Well, of course he's real. I always knew he was real. You did? Well, I think I knew he was real, but I, I didn't really know he was this real. And I, I just remember the kind of, you know, response that I got from people. And... Um, you know, I remember Joe and I had like, you know, we had rooms in the house that had no furniture and we were like, you know, we were just lucky to get in the house. And I remember I would look out the window in my bathroom and I would see them going to their vacations and coming back and getting their new cars and, you know, and, and we don't need God. What's wrong with you? And, but really, I, I think, I, I, you sure? I mean, God loves you. We don't need God. And, um, and I just remember one day, looking out the window and I guess Jesus was present with me at that moment and and I was praying for her but the Lord was saying to me you just wait what I'm going to do with you you just wait what I'm going to do with your life I, I wish I could just uh, get to every teenager and young person in this room of course the older ones as well but James you said it who did you just quote you said it looked like there was no price I ever paid. When I was there, I felt I was really paying the price to know Jesus. Wow. I'm going to lose friends. Me? I'm going to have people look at me different? I don't like that, Lord. I was like a, you know, kind of a gatherer of people. I love people. I mean, people are going to like me. I mean, I, that's going to really, that's going to really hurt. I'm not happy to tell you how sad the story is of the family that lived across my street. I want to tell you about the divorce and the cancer and the, the horrible things that went on in that family. There isn't one cousin today I would look at and say, I would like what they have. You think you're paying a price. Somebody said, you know, Jesus, well, somebody, I don't mean this... Jesus himself said, you know, the road is wide that leads, is broad, that leads to destruction. Many there beyond. Narrow is the road that leads to life. And few there beyond it. And somebody said this once, the road looks narrow when you walk with Jesus, but it goes into a very broad place. The road into your own self-centered life doing your own thing looks very broad especially when you're young 
but it gets very, very narrow. I wish I could convince and, and just yet really let you let you know that you're not... I want to tell you what I have given up to walk with Jesus for 40 years. I have given up fear of all kinds. Great. Absolutely. Fear has just... I think it comes with being Italian. How many Italians are in here? Guilt. Italians? Any more Italians? Yeah, here we go. Uh, fear, guilt, insecurity, uh, I, I, the list could go on. What I gave up in knowing Jesus, huh, you think it's you think it's a price, but it isn't a price. I say all that to say that I'm really not here today to really try to inspire you. Oh, of course, we're always those of us with mics in our hands. We're always looking to inspire to some degree. But what I'm really looking to do today is be your mother. And to pass to you a little bit today. I feel that I have been, um, I feel like the Lord has me here this morning as one of your shepherds. And I've talked, we, we have talked, um, Joe, James, and I. And um, we are getting ready as the church, the church. You know, church doesn't mean building, right? You know, church means the people that are his. It really comes from the Greek word ecclesiastes, uh, ecclesia, I'm sorry, which means called out ones. See, when Christ comes into your life, he calls you out. He calls you out of the life you're living. He calls you out of the darkness. And he says, you know what he says? Just what he said to the disciples. Follow me. Drop your nets. Follow me. And I, th- I feel as a pastor this morning that I feel like God wants to set up, uh, wants to lead us to some still waters and green pastures this morning in the 40 days of Lent that's going to start on Wednesday. One of the things I kind of struggle with on the first row is, you know, this book, is not first to make you smarter. In fact, the Bible says it's only known by the Spirit and by revelation. It doesn't matter how bright you are. You can spend your life trying to understand this unless the Spirit helps you. It's not to help you get smarter. It's to draw you nearer. I think next week we're going to share a little bit about how passionate Jesus Christ is for human beings. I don't think, as James has been speaking about and and sharing the lives of Jonathan Edwards and and, uh, St. Augustine, and how impactful, how many of you are really impacted by those lives? I mean, they were just amazing. And it's amazing to light your candle at one of these fires of one of these people that God had called and people that he's that shook nations for him and have left all to follow him. But one of the things that was underlined for me listening to these both men and their lives was, you know what, 
you can't, the, the, the religious way of following Jesus is to try to do this to sin and say, oh, I'm going to be a Christian. I have to say no to this. I have to say no to that. I have to say, I have to keep pushing. I have to say no. When in reality, you can never love God. You love God. Because we love God because he first loved us. You know the first thing I do when I feel distant from God? The first thing I do when I feel dry and dried up, I say, Lord, you need to love me. I need to feel your love for me again. You can never love. It takes God to love God. Did you hear me? It takes, stop trying to do it. Stop trying to do it. Be honest and tell God where you're at. God, I really am not hungry for you. I'm not really even, I'm not thirsty. I, I really, I'm, I'm kind of neutral about you right now. I mean, I don't want any friends just giving me yes talk. Do you? He wants your honesty. He wants you. He, listen to me. He wants your conviction. Prayer is not first about your euphoric feelings. Prayer is about, sometimes you just pray just out of conviction. Lord, I know this is the case. And I know that this is true. But right now, boy, this doesn't feel it. I don't feel it at all. But Lord, I know it's true. I'm going to sit in this truth. And I'm thanking you. I'm going to sit in this river. And I'm, I, I, I know that, you know what? You're going you're gonna, to you're gonna make that real in me again. So I want us to, I want to lead us into to, to Lent. And Ash Wednesday, I'm going to hand out. What I'm really looking to do is help us to connect and touch God. I mean, we talk about loving God. And I think that there's got to be people sitting here saying, well, that's, all, all, that's great. But how do I do that? And I think I'd like to try to start to just very simply um, answer that, answer that question. Uh, begin to just help us with some resources. So last week, Joe and I was sit- uh, Joe and I was sitting in our our um, in the kitchen, and he said, "Hey, Lynn, take a look at this. Look at this article in the Wall Street Journal. I don't know how many of you read the journal and saw this, but it's called the Benedict Option." And he handed this to me, and uh, um, I perused it, and then I was kind of su- I was kind of shocked because uh, the, the next day. In the mail, our um, copy came in of uh, Christianity Today, and it had the front cover was the Benedict Option. And I was like, what is the Benedict Option? How many of you have heard of the Benedict Option? Yeah. Okay. No, I didn't think so. Well, well, I, so this is what I understand the Benedict Option is. Now, this, this comes from the comes from St. Benedict. And St. Benedict uh, was uh, an Italian a good place to say that's that's good that's nice um and uh he was born just as the roman empire was falling some of you historians can tell me late fifth century the roman empire was falling am i right and uh, he was born i think just a couple of years after the western part of the empire fell and uh so benedict saw the condition of rome which was politically and morally, it was just defunct in every way you can possibly imagine. And so Benedict went out into the wilderness to get alone with God. And as it turned out, maybe James will take us into his life one of these days. But 
long story short, he became the one who began, um, he's the father of monasteries in Europe, actually. And so some of you know that. And so this was a movement that began the Benedictine, some of you know, maybe some of you Catholic groups know the Benedictine order. And this was Benedictine monks. And uh, interesting. Let me just read you. Basically, bottom line, um, the man who's writing the book on the Benedict option, uh, Rod Bayer, um, I said that wrong, something like that, dear. And um, he uh, read a book by a philosopher from the 80s, Alastair, um, hmm, We'll come back to me. And this, this man, very prophetically, in the 80s, said, God is going to have to raise up another Benedict because Western civilization is finished. Now, this was the 80s. Things didn't look so bad in the 80s. But he went on to say, um, and, and he, his book is not out yet. I, I'm on the list to get it. But... Um, so he, he goes in and explains that over the last few decades, Catholics, uh, evangelicals, uh, there's been a move of Christians who are actually, well, Catholics are going and making settlements sometimes around a monastery and, and building a community in a village around the actual monastery. And um, there are evangelicals and Christians who are also looking for settlements and you know, they're, they're kind of looking for a place to go and to um, gather and to live. One of the things he says, um, he said, I've written the Benedict Option to wake up the church and to encourage it to act to strengthen itself while there's still time. If we want to survive, we have to return to the roots of our faith both in thought and in deed. We're going to have to learn habits of the heart, forgotten by believers in the West. We're going to have to change our lives and approach to life in radical ways. In short, we're going to have to be the church without compromise, no matter what it costs. Um, let me just read you. someone else's opinion. Over and over, we see that the biggest problem and even the healthiest churches here, where kids are being raised well in the faith, is that the rhythms of kids' lives are not being shaped by anything related to church, said Executive Director Brian Brown. They're being shaped by the rat race, by the constant pressure to get the kid into college, whatever it may be. We have liturgies, that just means, you know, written out prayers. Their liturgies are formed by checking their smartphone or Facebook every hour. They are far more formative than the, than the liturgy of our religion that's supposed to be the center of our lives. So I'm here to talk to you. Now, if you leave here and tell people that your pastor is telling, saying, we're going to all go out and live and make a monastery, please don't do that. I don't think that's God's answer. It may be for some people, but I, I certainly am not called to live the monastic life in one sense. 
But I am here to tell you clearly to anybody who's in this flock and anybody who's under the influence of these leaders in this place to tell you that we are very foolish if we think that we can live the lives we're living now maybe a couple of hours a week to sit and hear someone talk to us about the Bible as though that's ever going to be the real Christian life. What I'm saying is, I think our brother has some, there is something happening, and I don't, as much as, I, I, I don't think the answer is, is running off into communes. Well, could be for some people. But the answer to me is, we've got to wake up We've all got to take a look at ourselves in the mirror and look at one another and say, we've got to do some radical changes in our lives. Parents, you've got to do something. You've got to do some radical things because the world, the flesh, and the devil. Remember we said, I said the Muppets tell us there's resistance in us. Do you understand? <laughs> the Bible says that we have three enemies as, as the church. We've got the world... You know what the world is? It's your, it's the, it's the culture we're surrounded with. You know why you look ridiculous in the 80s with your hair curly and all puffed out looking like that? And you look at pictures now and you say, oh my God, what was I thinking? Right? Or you look at the clothes you wore in the 70s, the psychedelic, oh my gosh, and the flared pants, right? We have no idea how susceptible we are to the world and the culture that we're in. And does the Bible not say, be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind? We have work to do. And that work is to fall more in love with Jesus than, and not, we can't be playing church. And I don't think anybody in here wants to play church. I think you're here. I don't know why you're here. You, you ask yourself the question why you're here. But sometimes as a preacher, I'm going to tell you the truth. I feel like I'm offering a piece of bread to a p bunch of people that have just finished Thanksgiving dinner. Because we're really not hungry. Because we've fed on the world. We've got what we want. Who needs God? So we come in and we just do the obligatory thing and we come and we sit and we, and we want to. And there's a part of us that, that really, but I want to tell you something. Whether you're a Christian or whether you're a non-Christian, whether you're an atheist, whether you're agnostic, there is something in every human soul that says there is something higher than this. There is a deeper purpose than, than I see and I feel in my life. And if you have not touched it yet... then you have stuffed it down. Because there is a God-given call in every human being to know God and to give your life to Him. When we marry people right up at this altar, you know what, what's happening? They come in here now. They make a commitment. And when they walk out of this place, everything in their life now has to center around that relationship. Everything, everything changes. They can't go to the places they... They were going, some of them, places they were going aren't going to change. Some of the things they were doing, uh, now there's, there's another person involved in their lives. Things change. There's going to be a decisions about how I spend my money. There's going to be decisions about where I live 
And that's part of marriage, saints, isn't it? That learning to live with another person. Listen, next week I'm going to, I probably, we're going to get into, I mean, Jesus said when he talked about marriage, he said, but what I really mean is Christ in the church. Christ in the church is not just a picture of marriage. Marriage is a picture of Christ and the, and the believer who loves him, the commitment to him. That really true Christianity means he has my life and everything will be subject to that relationship. And every single thing will have to be gathered and brought into the center of that relationship. And I want to tell you, you've never been a better husband than you'll be with Jesus in the center of your life. You'll never be a better wife than if you've got Jesus. When I have women come to me and their husbands aren't open to the Lord, I say to them, well, how, how attractive are you? To, what kind of, are you an attractive messenger? Because if Jesus is at the center of your life, he's going to see a change in you. He's going to see something about you. He, he's going to be drawn. Who doesn't like to be around perfect love? Jesus wants to... Can you imagine? You know what Jesus is after? He's after transforming you. What does that look like? How would you like never to worry again? How would you like to be filled with peace? Uh, uh, un unimaginable peace. How would you like never to have a, never to have be ruled by dark thoughts about people? To be full of forgiveness and love and, and joy in your life. What are we talking about? He's no stiff. He's no taskmaster. He's not a hard person to be near. I want to tell you, he is beckoning us this Lent. Saying, come closer to me. I want you to know me better than you know me. You think you know God? I think I know God. We see a tiny, tiny little bit, a little glimpse of him. For me, a glimpse changed my whole life, Joe's whole life. I read this story. I was going to say it later, but it's a folklore about Moses. And it goes like this. Moses was a Jewish Hebrew folklore. And... Um, Moses was in a, in a, staying with a farmer that was a goat farmer. And so Moses would milk the ewes with him. And, uh, he would do this day in and day out. And then one day he noticed and he said, why don't you keep, he would take this bowl, wooden bowl, and put the milk of one of the, the, the goats in this bowl and take it out into the wilderness and set it on a flat rock. Every night, he would do it. And so Moses scratched his head, and he said to him one day, he said, well, what are you doing with that, that milk? And he said, oh, oh, he said, I take the best milk from the best you I have, and I put it there on the rock, and I give it to God. And Moses said, you do? He said, well... But God's all spirit, and God can't drink milk. That's silly. And the man said, no, he, he loves it. I know he does. He said, he's spirit. He can't drink milk. And the man was so dejected, and he went away. And Moses said this to him. He said, you know, hide behind one of those bushes, and you watch. You watch. And see what happens. And you watch that bowl and see what happens. Well, the next morning they're at breakfast, and Moses notices the man's very dejected and very depressed looking. And he said, what's the matter? And he said, well, 
succulent. I went there, and a fox jumped up on the rock and drank the milk. And the man was so sad. And Moses said, well, you learned something about God. That's good. And Moses walked away. And God said, Moses, you were wrong to speak to that man like that. He said, of course I'm spirit. But the love that that man had when he poured out that little milk, he said, he did with such gratitude and love in his heart. He said, it moved me. He said, and yeah, that's right, I'm spirit and I can't drink it. But I need the fox really enjoys it. What is, we're afraid to move toward him for all those crazy reasons we think when the devil tells us. And mostly because we don't know him and we have weird pictures of him. But I want to say to you that that's the Jesus that I have, that's the Jesus that I have grown to know. The world, the Bible says that Satan is the prince of this world. And that behind everything in the world system, there is a power to take you away from God. And everything, whether it's arts, whether it's, uh, there isn't a thing, whether it's architecture, whether it's education, whether it's medicine. You say, Linda, what are you, crazy? I mean, these are good things. Of course they are good things. The tree in the garden was good and evil. Yes, there was good in it, but there's also a power in it. And that power is to pull you away from God. And anytime we're dealing with the world, there has to be something in us that has a thing that says, whoa, handle with care. Handle with care. Because there's something in here that wants to sap you out and cut you off from God and take you and have you. You know, I've seen people get taken away from God. Unfortunately, Joe and I have watched it for years. And you don't know what's happening to you. And then you just find it's like a wave taking you. And then we get to see them 10 years, 15 years later, awashed on the the sand somewhere. When we tried to tell them, watch it where you're going, watch it, watch it. Not because we're policemen, not because God's a fuddy-duddy, but because you and I have got to make a decision. Jesus Christ said, follow me. Do you know what that means? It means he leads and I follow. And I want to ask you how well you're doing at following. How well are you doing at following? Or do you make all your own decisions and then ask God to bless it? He so wants... Do you know one of the things that when you know you're in love with somebody, what is one of the first things you want to do when you fall in love with somebody? You want to tell them everything. I remember when Joe and I were dating and He was in South Dakota for a while going to school. And my phone bills were crazy. And my sister and brother will tell you, my father screaming at me for the phone bills. But all we wanted to do was tell each other. Talk. Talked about what was going on in you and things that you couldn't say to anybody else. You you know what it's like if you've ever been in love. You just want to share everything. Do you know what intimacy is? Intimacy is a shared experiences. You Walking with Jesus means I share life with him. I don't share a Sunday morning with him. 
I don't share a Sunday morning and a Wednesday evening. I share my life with him. You walk with him. You talk to him. You have, you have a conversation with him. The deepest thing you can do is have a conversation with Jesus all day and learn how to do that. And like, like I was saying, the children are learning, learning their, their lives of revolving around liturgies, but it's the liturgy of the world. And at least these, these, these Christian and Catholic families that are centering in a monastery, you know what a monastery's rhythms are? It's prayer at a certain time. Prayer in the afternoon, certain, you stop. Prayer, maybe, different, day, different times of the day where you stop and you lift your eyes to God. And I'm not talking about being religious. I'm not talking about being stuffy. I'm just saying... I can sit sometimes and have a great time with the Lord, and by 3 o'clock in the afternoon, Jesus who? Oh, don't look so spiritual. You know what I'm talking about. Sometimes by 3 o'clock in the afternoon, I'm like, this is what I'm saying. I don't know about you. But I want to, I, I, this is what I want to do. This is what we want to do. And this is what we feel called to do because we care about you and we care about ourselves. And we've got to make changes, and we've got to make changes in the church. And I'm not telling you exactly what the changes are going to be for you. I don't even know exactly what the changes are going to be for me. But I know one thing. The world and your flesh, the things that you have to have, Yourself and your self-centeredness and your comforts and, and your, your stuff. The world, the flesh, and the devil will do everything to keep you from moving this year, this Lenten season, to get closer to God. Do you remember the children of Israel when they were in Egypt? Do you know when they were in Egypt and they were slaves and Pharaoh had them making bricks? Do you remember that? How many of you remember that? You're awake in here, right? Yeah, okay. You remember. Do you know, just to make sure nobody... Started, nobody started to think about getting free. Just in case they ever decided to get to get free and have an insurrection. Hey, that group over there, what's going on? They're talking a little bit too much. More bricks for them. More bricks for them. Them over there. What's going on over there? More bricks. You know, that's what that's what the devil does. The Bible says that Egypt and Pharaoh are a picture of the world and Satan. And Satan looks at you and you start saying, you know, I think I'm, I think I want to go Wednesday night to the prayer meeting. You know, I heard that God's there. Uh-oh, uh-oh. More bricks over here, right here. Needs to make more bricks over here. Get her busier. Get her busier. Get, get her, do something else over here. She's looking, to, she's looking to break. We come in here and talk about chains being broken. Is that a reality or do we just sing the word, saints? Listen. There's nothing more important in your life. At the end of your life, you know the expression, you'll not, at the end of your life on your deathbed, you'll never be sorry that you didn't spend more hours at the office. At the end of our life, what will matter is that I loved God and I loved people. And that's the only thing you and I will take with us from this place. Because the Bible tells you that everything you can see is temporary and passing away. Do you know, I just... I just found the best definition for the fear of the Lord I have ever, ever heard. Am I getting go on too long? Okay, i got to start wrapping this up. Do you know what fear of the Lord is? 
theory is going to be right. Theory is going to be right. Now, the Bible says, and I know I'm not supposed to do this, but fear of the Lord is, you know what? He's usually right. And even though I can't see it, I have a bone to pick with my kids. And I'm going to, I'm going to be really free to do it right here. You two guys. You know, whenever we got in discussion with the kids and we were having a little tense moment, my kids all said the same thing to me. You always think you're right. And I tried to play the, your humble game. But you know what I said when you walked away? Well, tell me exactly what I wasn't right about. Was it, don't live in a moral life? Was that, was that bad? Was that bad information? Or give your life to Jesus young? Was that tough? Was that hard? I don't think that was probably good advice, right? So what exactly wasn't I right about? God is right. He's right all the time. I mean, I'm not exactly putting myself and him in the same category. There's a little difference between the two of us. <laughs> You're my firstborn. Amen. Can I punish you anymore? I guess not. He's always right. Now, I'm pastoring, so look at me and smile. You're going to still love me. When he says, don't live together before you get married, it's fornication, and don't sleep together, and he says so, he means it, and there's a reason for it, not because he wants to spoil your party. Now listen, it's my job to tell you these things. It's our job to tell you these things. Because the world isn't going to tell it to you. And our job is to say, he's always right. Do you know what the stats are of how many couples stay together and live together? They're very bad. Do you know that? I wish I had them. I need to get them. The stats for couples that stay together after they have lived together are very, very small. You think, well, that makes sense. I mean, I, I understand it. We've had people come to us and say they want to marry and they're living together. And I say, you know, financially we have this problem. I, I get it. I get it. And we say, well, we're going to we'll marry you, but you got to stay in separate bedrooms until until the wedding day. Or it, it, I listen. I have to. It, my job. This is. I don't make up the rules. I don't make up the rules. I'm sorry. I, I, I'm not to hurt anybody or offend you or. I'm here to save you and tell you. He is always right. That is, you want to know what my testimony is? He's always been right. He didn't always look right. When he said, forgive this person, do this, uh, turn your back on that. and say, Lord, really? Well, now real quick, let me finish up with what was supposed to be the meat of my, ser- my sermon. So Jesus meets one man one day and he was a rich young ruler. Remember the story? And, the, and, and he, he had it all. And he was a good person. He came to Jesus and he, he made his way through the crowd and he said, I mean, there was something in him that wanted God. And he got to Jesus. Imagine he got to Jesus and looked Jesus in the face and said, and said, good master, what must I do to, to inherit life? And Jesus said, well, you know the commandments and he repeated some of them. He said, I've done them all. Took care of his parents, honored his parents. And he went down the list of, of the commandments. 
And then Jesus, it says, looked at him. And it said Jesus loved him. And he said, sell all you have and give it to the poor and come follow me. <laughs> Mic drop. What? Now, first I have to tell you, he met a lot of rich people. And he never said it to anybody else but this guy. Because this guy was so weighted down. His whole identity was involved in his wealth. Everything in his life was connected to that thing. And Jesus knew that it was killing him. And he'd never be able to live until he cut that serpent off at the head. And do you know he's the only person in the whole New Testament that said no to Jesus? I mean, crowds left him. But he was the only person that looked at Jesus and went away sad. And this is what I want. And he, and he went away. And the Bible says he went away sad because he had great possessions. And I want to say this to you: not only when you come to know Jesus do you come to know Him, but you get to know yourself. You find the true you. C.S. Lewis said the true you is in Christ, waiting for you. You'll never know who you really are outside of Jesus. You'll never really know who you do you know who this man could have been? We could have been, he could have this could have been a guy. Maybe his name was Tom. And it could have been the gospel of Tom. He could have been with the apostles raising the dead and healing the sick and standing in the gates of New Jerusalem. But you know what? He'll always be the rich young ruler with no name who that forever people will talk about as the one guy who said, No, I can't do that, Jesus. And then quickly, I've got a lot of ground to cover in five minutes. Zacchaeus, another rich man, a publican. Oh, if you know about publicans, listen, they were the ones who were, who were uh, spies for Rome uh, and told the Roman authorities, this guy's got a lot of money, get the ta- you, he, he taxes right here. He, he was hated, hated this man was. And this guy, Zacchaeus, they said was of small stature. But one day he heard he was very wealthy, and one day... He, he had a lot of influence. And one day he heard that Jesus was coming by. And he got so excited that he, the Bible says he, he climbed a sycamore tree just to be high enough to be able to see him when Jesus went by. And Jesus stopped and said, Zacchaeus, come down out of that tree. I'm going to your house for dinner tonight. Salvation has come to you today. Zacchaeus said, Jesus, I'll pay everything back that I ever stole. I'll, four times. I'll give back four times of what I, what I took from others. Jesus, this was a real change of this man's heart. So I want to just tell you this, and I'm going to move on. And this is just a piece of meat for somebody in here. You find the real you will surface mostly when you have great joy and when you have great sadness. When your masks are off and you touch the real person, when you can't hide anymore in great joy, like David dancing before the ark, he didn't care what people, Zacchaeus didn't care what people thought of him. He was able to break those chains and he was free. He was free. The rule, the rich young ruler, I'm, I'm closing up now. The rich young ruler had no room for Jesus. Had, couldn't, wouldn't, make, wouldn't make room. 
My question to us sitting on a hill today is, are we going to make room for Jesus in our lives? This Lent, I believe God wants to do some amazing things. I think that if we will give him a chance, one step toward him, all you do is, is receive. You just you, you go and tell him. You give him a chance. Open the door a crack and see what Jesus will do. I'm asking us, as we start this Wednesday night, I'm going to hand out materials. And I'm looking for, uh, in fact, I'm going to stop in, in a minute and I'm going to do a little prayer exercise with you. That's going to take just a few minutes. I want to give you materials on how do I touch God? How do I contact God? I'm going to give you materials on, on this Lent that are going to help you and be a door for you. <clears throat> that we can together as... And let me tell you something. When you do it as a community, together there is power. We have an opportunity this Lent to come in on the power of the Spirit while people all over the globe... While Christians in the Middle East that are in prisons and, and dying for Jesus, while, while the church at large is calling back to, sell, to to remember his passion. Remember what they call the week of, of, of Easter? They call it his passion week. I want you to know next week I'm going to talk about the fact that you are his passion. You are the reason why he, he is so passionate about you. He is a passionate God. He is not, do you know that just like that little man who put the milk in the bowl, that little farmer, do you know that you have the capacity to move God in his feelings towards you? Do you know that you can, you do things and act and you, you say things that gives him joy, that gives God, that gives, that gives God joy? Do you, do you think he's just some cloud, some, just some, some, uh, dummy? Uh, when I say dummy, I mean some, fake person sitting on a chair somewhere. He is alive. He is a human being. He is never giving up his humanity, ever. He didn't just become a man for 33 years. He is a human being and will be a human being forever. He is so connected to you and to me, and he is passionate about the human race. And I'm asking you, I don't know what those steps will be in your life, what he wants the steps to move forward. But I'm going to give you some simple things to just start. Uh, maybe one prayer in the morning that you haven't done before. Maybe you do devotional. Put your devotionals away and do something different this Lent. Too often I talk to people, they're in the same wheel of devotions, and, and it's really not, it, it, it's become a, their, their faith is in the, in, you know, it isn't, but life changes, relationships change. If you're doing the same thing you're doing 10 years ago, then stop it. I've got some beautiful prayers of surrender that take two, that take minute, a minute to say that you could stop at your lunchtime and you could just stop and drop your head and say a little prayer of surrender to God. I want to help us to learn to bring some rhythm in our life. I want us to really get excited about Sabbath again. I want us to really say it's the day of celebration. When I was a little girl, I had my special shoes on the floor and my dress. It was Sunday clothes. And it, that's what you got to wear. You got to wear the best clothes you had and eat the best food you have. You know, today, nothing is special anymore. We shop on Thanksgiving. And you know what this has done? It's made nothing special anymore. And we, everything has to be the same. And I want to tell you, we have been robbed of something in our lives. I, there, was, there should be special 
Sabbath should be that special time you eat special food, you wear your special clothes, you see the special people you want to be with. God, that's why the Jews have so many feasts about celebration. Do you know it? We are terrible at celebrating. Oh, what is, what is Pastor Linda going to have me do? I'm going to walk up the stairs on my knees. I mean, he's going to make me pray for 10 hours. I'm going to say one of the disciplines I want you to get into your life, because I need in my life, is a feast of joy and celebration. When was the last time you celebrated, really celebrated, the goodness of God in your life? God, thank you. I woke up this morning. Thank you. Oh, God, thank you that you let me. I had enough money to buy that washing machine. I mean, I don't know what it is, but when was the last time you and I were grateful and celebrated? We've lost celebration. We've lost. Anybody know what I do with my glasses? Are they on my head? No, my other one. I knew that. Okay. Now, after all said and done, I, wanna, I want you to get comfortable in chair. I'm only going to keep you a couple more minutes. But this is a little bit of the kind of thing I want to give you. Some resources I want to give you for the Lenten season. So I'm going to ask you to close your eyes as we come to, we come to an end of this. This would be a kind of a step, a, new thi- uh, a prayer for you in the morning. When you, when you wake up. And, and it would go something like this. You wake up in the morning and the first thing you do, and we're going to do it right now, Lord, right now, you thank God, even if you don't particularly feel happy about the day which is ahead of you. And you take the verse, this day is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be grateful in it. And once you once you said it, you give yourself time to release that truth. And you stop and you say, Lord, I'm going to say it again. This time I want to mean it. This time I want to say it really with conviction. Then get up, wash, clean, do whatever else you need to do, and come back to God again. Come to God again with two convictions. One, that you're God's own. And the other is that this day is also God's own. It's absolutely new. It's absolutely fresh. It's never existed before. It's like, it's like a vast expanse of unsoiled snow. See it in your mind. See a field of snow that's absolutely virgin. No one's touched it. No one's walked in it. No one's trodden on it. It's virgin and it's pure and it's all out in front of you. And what do you do next? What comes next is you ask God to bless this day and that everything in it should be blessed and ruled by him. And after that, you must take it seriously because very often one says, bless me, and then walks away and doesn't think about it again. Day is blessed by God, and it's God's own. And now he bids you to go into it with him together into this day. And you walk in the day as God's very own messenger. And whoever you meet, you meet in God's name.
You're there to be the presence of the Lord God, in the presence of Christ, in the presence of the Spirit. And this is your function on this particular day. God has never said that when you walk into a situation, you should ever go alone. He wants to go with you. And if, and as to the day, if you accept that this day was blessed of God, chosen by God with his own hand, then every person you meet today is a gift. And every circumstance you meet is a gift. Whether it's bitter or whether it's sweet. Whether you like it or whether you don't like it. God's own gift to you. And if you take it that way, you can face any situation. But then you must face it with the readiness that anything that may happen, whether you enjoy it or not, you're walking in the name of the Lord. And it's fresh and it's new. And this day has come out of his very own hands and has been blessed for you to live with it. And then you can make prayer and life really like the two sides of one coin. You act and you pray in one breath, as it were, because all the situations that follow one another require God's blessing. Simply turn your eyes Godward after the end of your prayer and smile at God and go into the day with him together. Father, we are a people... that need you so much more than we know we do. We need you. And Father, we want to stand with all of our brothers and sisters throughout the church, your people throughout the world, this Lenten season. And we're asking you, Lord, it is our commitment to make room for you in our lives. We don't know where to begin but we believe you're the God of that farmer and that the slightest little act on our part will please you. You're not asking, you don't ask us to take on a mountain at one time. You ask us to take one small step at a time. And so, Father, I just want to thank you and praise you as we come to this table this morning. That you died not just to take my sins away, although how... That's the beginning place. I could have no relationship with you before that. But you came to get my heart. You came to get me and to live life with me. Because you know, you know every person in this room. You know them. You love them. And Lord, this Lent, we want to open the door to you. We want to know you better. By this Easter, we want to celebrate that we've come to know you in a greater way through these 40 days. Father, I bless the people partaking of this, these emblems, and I bless us today with a hunger to know God like we have never known you before. Father, we're absolutely depending on you and your grace. Father, all that we say, we say in the name of Jesus. Amen. We'll have the ushers come forward, and you can, yeah, ushers come forward and serve us the table. You're going to hear some different words from the 
like the um, servants this morning. I want you to be listening for what they say to you this morning. And if God, if something resonated in you this morning that was of the Spirit, and you want to make this Lent a special time with God, I think this is the, uh, this is the moment to do it this morning. Come and tell him so. Part of us, there's... We wish it was more. We wish we were hungrier. And we wish we were thirstier. But, Lord, we're here this morning because there is a thirst. There is a hunger to know you and to follow you. Father, I pray. I pray for every person in this room today, including the speaker. Father, that we will truly follow you 2017 wherever you lead us, Lord. You're the shepherd who leads us in right paths for your name's sake. And we say, we say yes, Lord. Next week we're going to talk a little bit about, I think, I think we're going to talk about when we really see a picture of the passion Jesus has for you and me and the place you, a believer, has in his heart when they respond to him. I think it, it, it changes a life. It changes a life. We'll see you next week. Thanks for being so absolutely great this morning. Talk to you then. Thank you, guys. Thanks for listening to City on a Hill's podcast. For more resources, visit us at chccny.com.